1951, J.D. Salinger shocked the world with his rambling stream of vulgar consciousness, Catcher in the Rye. Before punk rock, slackers, and even beatniks, Holden Caulfield's wanderings in New York got readers deep into the minds of teenagers disenchanted with the materialistic excess of post-war America. If this book didn't invent teenage angst, it was the first to chronicle it in stark detail. It's so vivid you'll feel the pimples start to break out again. So bring a Manhattan cocktail and your misplaced sense of integrity. Listen to these two old phony crumb bums try to remember adolescence. It's time for episode 7 of Toasting the Classics, Catcher in the Rye. Welcome to uh, Toasting the Classics with Clint Lanier and Dave MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Or Dave MacArthur and Clint Lanier. That's probably better that way. Yeah, yeah probably so. I, I always write Clint Lanier and Dave MacArthur. I think that sounds better, but anyway. Well, whatever. I should probably change that. So uh, today we are... are are looking at uh, Catcher in the Rye yep. by J.D. Salinger. That's right. I noticed um, that the war doesn't get mentioned until like most of the way through the books. So I was right. like, the, the publisher's date on the inside of my book said 45, and I was like, there's no way you wouldn't be talking about the war constantly if it was 1945. But yeah, well, it, it was published as a serial in, uh, I think, the Yeah, Yorker. that's weird, isn't it? I didn't know that. They, yeah, they, you know, a lot of a lot of authors did that. Hemingway did that mm. with some of his books. I think Old Man in the Sea, in fact, was okay. might have been published like that. I, think. I know that about Dickens, but uh, I didn't know that more modern authors <coughs> were doing that. Yeah, I don't know if they do it so much anymore, but it was, you know, in the early part of the, of the 20th century, it was kind of still a thing. Mm, I think um, it was something by Stephen King. I was looking in his publishing history, and he was doing that at the beginning of his career, too. Same yeah, thing, yeah, so. I, I can imagine that. Um, I mean, who reads magazines today, right? Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> so there has to be a literary magazine that you actually enjoy that people still read. And Though people post things online, right, and then they turn into, like, uh, did you read Wool? No. I think it's Hugh Howie is no. the guy's name, but he, he did the whole thing online before mm. he released it as a book. So I guess it's the equivalent. I hate to even bring it up, but I think Twilight or... or uh, I heard Twilight... No, sorry. The other thing. Fifty, uh, Shades, 50 Shades of Grey great. started as online Like fan, fan fiction, fiction for Twilight, right? Right. And Which was dirty fan fiction about teenagers. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> no. um, I feel like I that should have yeah. disqualified that book from the very beginning. Right. But uh, yeah, so that's that's how that started. So you're right. I mean, online is where it's, where it's certainly gone. So... Uh, but yeah, so published uh, between 45 and 46 in mm-hmm. serial form, and then as a novel in 1951. Let's see, where do, where do we, we want to start? It's so what's wrong with Holden Caulfield? What's what wrong with Holden? Uh, what's your diagnosis as a street psychiatrist? What do you, uh, <laughs> what do you see is going on with this kid? Well, I mean, it's been, this has been... Just the, a teenager? Yeah. Or we have something I, I psychiatric think, going on? No, I don't know. I mean, today they'd probably diagnose him with something, right? I think right? so. I think so. I yeah. think that's what he's getting at. I think he's got sort of an idea of what the issue is, mm-hmm. and he's sort of coming at it from about maybe five different kinds of psych- isn't psychological he, isn't issues. Isn't he in a hospital or something? He's in a hospital. Right. Is where he's t- and I was wondering this, is there some formal framing for the story? Is it like this that he's writing? Is a journal he's writing in the hospital mm-hmm. or something like that? Or is it just right. meant to be him speaking to somebody like in a therapy session? Because he says he, he's referring to plural people he's right. speaking to, right? He's in the second person plural. Yeah. In the I- introduction and in the conclusion. Um, right. But I don't, it's not clear. Well, throughout the me. book, he, he talks about his uh, brother, uh, Abe, is that what it is? D.B. Oh, D.B. No, 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 the one that died. Um, oh, the brother that died is Ali? Ali, maybe? That isn't right. Nobody's yeah, named Ali. Right. Good but, Lord. But he always Good says, Lord, you know, how much he, time do I have to spend reading something to remember, <laughs> like, two names? But uh, he, he... I think it's Ali. Is it Allie? I think it is okay. Allie. It, well, but with both Allie and Phoebe, it's you would like them. 
you would like them. Right. right. He's always inter- right. Inter- right. interrupting right. himself, exactly. and, and exactly. you, you got to believe me. And, and yeah, yeah. So he's so he's in the hospital. They don't they don't they don't give the context of why he's in there. Yeah, it wasn't clear because I was expecting, not having read this in a long time, mm-hmm. when he talks about it at the beginning, all mm-hmm. this crazy stuff that happened to him. Frankly, it's not that crazy. Mm-hmm. The events of the book are a mess. I mean, but nobody fir- dies. Nobody, well, you know. Pretty. I mean, for a, for a sixteen year old, yeah, sure, sure. New but York. I was expecting somebody. I thought Phoebe was going to die towards the end right. when she was running across the street and stuff. I was like, please don't sure. kill Phoebe. I really yeah. like her. I yeah. really don't want anything bad to happen to the little spoiler girl. Spoiler alert. I feel like the whole thing <laughs> is a spoiler alert, right? <laughs> right. We're treating Every, this as if you've every, all everything we do is a spoiler. We're, we're treating this as yeah. if you've all ingested the entire right. thing. So right. if you haven't. You know, this is your version of reading it. You're not going to read it anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it takes place uh, 1950s. I think so, right? Maybe. Yeah. Everybody's got a car. Everybody's got a car. Is oh, there's some movies that you can date mm-hmm. if you were so inclined. I wasn't, but right. there were some movies that were mentioned. They're definitely actual movies. They said, I mean, it's from the it, 40s, it's I set, think. It's so. set in like late 40s, early yeah, 50s. Post-war. Post-war, because you know, he mentions his older brother did go post-war. to the war. Uh-huh. And he said he was a kid. Yeah. So, well, he's 16 at the time of the book, so he's still a kid. But right. let's say four or five years ago. Yeah, it's probably mm-hmm. about 1951, 1952. Yeah. That sounds about right. Well, yeah. don't mention Korea. By the time he's he's writing this or he's telling the story, DB is a screenwriter in Hollywood. Prostitute. So a, prost- yeah, a prostitute. So he's probably mid to late 20s. Yeah, that sounds about right. Both of the other siblings are younger. Yeah, the other two. Right, one, so DB's one, like 22 and... I'd Holden's say 16. Well, I'd say he's probably he's probably older than that if he's got, come back from the war, he's graduated college and he's Yeah, that seems he's, right. He's uh off in Hollywood. I was I was figuring yeah. he's probably like mid to late 20s. So his parents really spread out the uh mm-hmm. yeah. The, they do. There's the a big fam- yeah. I think the kid sounds like he's got OCD. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I would say can be like almost diagnosed from mm-hmm. reading it cuz he's got these bits where he keeps talking about people's hygiene. Mhm. Like when he's talking about uh, the roommate constantly brushing his teeth and things like that. like And, and he talks about making a snowball and then not being able to throw it and hanging on to it for like hours afterwards. And right. I'm like, that's not, uh, yeah, that's not like normal teenager behavior. That's something else that's going on. Right. But then what do you think? I think it's the trauma though, right? From losing the brother. Yeah, a lot of it was. a big deal. Yeah. I think for I mean, Holden. I mean, I think that's a. I mean, he ta- he talks to him out he, loud. Right. Right. And, and, and he just keeps you know, referring back to certain events and replaying certain events, thinking about him, carries that his glove, uh-huh. you know, his baseball uh-huh. glove with him. Writes with an the essay about writes the glove. Essay. So I think, yeah, I think, well, we know that the trauma of losing his brother affected his mom because he says his mom's mm-hmm. like never been the same since. Has headaches all day. She's always, t- she's always sad. Right, you know? always sad, yeah. And then Phoebe seems to be like another version of Allie, you know, like yeah. kind of a wild, a more healthy, young, younger young child, spirit, yeah. you know. Yeah. The bit where he's talking about how uh, he's imagining telling his brother that he's going to take him shooting. Yeah. I think it's like the saddest thing I've ever read. Like <laughs> right. It's like remembering this like one day where he didn't take the kid shooting. I was yeah. like, man, that's Yeah, he said to me this and then he, then he ditched him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was never sore about it because he never got sore about anything or whatever. How long has it been since... We're calling him Allie because we can't remember the kid's name. It's terrible. <laughs> I think, I think I could Maybe we it. should look that up. Yeah. We'll How long do you one. think it's been since the kid died? So well, let's see. I, I didn't get like an official, but I'm like... If I remember correctly, so I think Holden was two years older than him. Okay. And he died, I believe, when Holden was like 12. They were okay. at the time. Uh, so I've noticed this pattern in my life, and I don't know if this is what Salinger's going for or not, mm-hmm. but I've noticed that if you have something happen to you, 12 and thir- 11, 12, 13, those are tough years, right, for everybody? Mm-hmm. It's a transitional time. Yeah. Puberty, like social situations get weird. I think if something happens to you in those years, it could really, really 
cause a break. Like I knew some people, for instance, whose parents got divorced at that age. Yeah. And it was like touch and go whether they ended up okay right. in the long run. Like real, And I kind of that's what he's getting at is that the death of the brother caused this break in him. And he's still broken like what we're talking about four years, three or four years later. A break um, in the family, maybe. You know. Breaking the family, maybe we don't get a whole lot of insight into the parents. There's a, a few mentions of the mom. Dad's kind of dad doesn't really. He's kind of out of the picture. Get talked. He? He's yeah. he's there, but he's maybe one of these '50s dads is just yeah. not involved with his children. I don't know. The man in the gray flannel suit or something like that. Yeah, he works. I think that's what is he? He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yeah. Cor- a corporate lawyer. Right, corporate lawyer. Yeah. So he's probably pretty busy. That's it is Allie, by the way. It is Allie. Yeah. Okay, good. So we're not. Totally. Completely out of it. Yeah. But, you know, what's funny is is uh, it's almost like a hero worship that he has with both Allie and Phoebe and talking about mm-hmm. how smart they are and how good they are, and, and but, like, how smart they are, right? Really looking and, down and, on himself. Yeah, and he's yeah. always calling himself dumb and everything right. else. And, I mean, he's flunked out of all these schools. But it seems like he's, he's flunking out for lack of motivation, kind of a self- Definitely. You know, self-fulfilling Definitely. prophecy type of thing. There's the bit where he's taking the history test, yeah. the teacher that he really likes. Not mm-hmm. Mr. Antolini, the guy from the end of the book, but the- the older teacher. Yeah. I can't remember his name. But um, he's talking about the... Spencer? Old... No, somebody. Old somebody. Yeah. He's talking about he takes the test on Egypt. Yeah. And he quotes what he wrote. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's not what a stupid kid writes. Yeah. That's good writing. And he talks about constantly throughout it how his composition skills are really good. Like right. He's really, he even admits that he's a really good writer. Like, that's his favorite thing to do. Right. He's just a screw-up at school. He's just not studying... Doesn't know anything about Egypt because he wasn't paying attention yeah, he in wasn't, class. He wasn't interested. I mean, I think he's really smart. I, I think the thing with Phoebe is it's a bridge to his childhood, right? I think she represents innocence and getting away from being a teenager. That's why she makes him happy every time he thinks about her. Right. Basically. And when he goes and sees her, it really grounds him. He almost yeah. kind of has a little bit of a breakthrough, right? At the end, when he goes and, and hangs out with her in a room and he starts crying. And I think he does have a breakthrough. Yeah, I, I think, think that's so, what too. It is. Yeah, because yeah. he's going around and he's like, I felt a lot better. Like, I, yeah. I felt, like, different. Well, you know, it's a carousel. When, yeah, you know, when he goes. And, yeah. and he's talking about striving for something, going for the gold ring, right? Mm-hmm. Tur- talking about it in the context of a carousel, but that, that kids need something to, to aim for, right? They need something yeah. to go for. yeah. That's and, true. And, uh, and, and his lack of ambition is a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's weird, though. Think about his interactions with any child. There was that, that girl at the um, at the skating rink that knew Phoebe, and he talked about, uh-huh. didn't he, like, tie her shoe for her? Or yeah. He did something for her. He asked at the her park. If she wanted, She's yeah, at the yeah. park. She's roller skating and he asked at the her park. if, if yeah. she wanted uh, some coffee. I think it was what ice skating. A, what is a uh-huh. skate key? My whole life I've heard that phrase. <laughs> I have no idea. What are you doing with it? Opening the skates? or Do you use it to undo the... Do you lock up your skates when you're not no. using them? Like you, like, like, a, like a bike lock? You kind of put the chain I grew on. up in the desert. Take the dude. wheels off? Seriously, in the middle of the desert. I tried roller skating once when I was five. I fell a whole bunch of times and I never tried again. I actually again, enjoyed so. roller skating. We had, a, we had a, a great... I liked roller blading. It's a little different. See, so you were one of those kids. I mean, I didn't do it that part, much. Part of the rad kid. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely I was not. We didn't have uh, public skate parks and things where I grew up. That's a pretty cool thing we have here, actually, in Las Cruces. Was, was there a movie about roller blading? What was Gleaming the Cube? That Leaving the cube is skateboarding. skateboarding yeah. okay. That's a little different. It might have been Christian Slater. I think it was. Not 100% Slater. sure. No, that's a different skating bit. He goes and he takes that girl skating. Uh, you remember that? Yeah. There's like the girl that he calls up and has a date with her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hastings. That reminded me so much. This one time, I thought it was a really cool idea for a date. I took this girl ice skating, and we went out there, and we went around this, the ice a couple of times, and finally she just kind of, like, broke down. She was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Like, let's stop. She was like, yeah, I have this congenital defect in my ankles, but, like, oh, geez. and I can't skate. <laughs> but she's just going along with it because oh, some guy asked her to do it on a date. Wow. I was like, 
Yeah, I felt pretty bad, but well, how would you know? No, exactly. But of all the things, and, and then you of all the things, and you didn't I say, pick. you didn't say, you know, inconsiderate. I mean, you didn't do anything like that. Did no, you? I didn't say that. No, <laughs> see, no, I stopped that, skating. That would have that would have been different. That's true. That would have been a bad you're, way to go. You're a complete gentleman. Yeah, I don't usually say things like that. So <laughs> it's a, a skate key is a small wrench used to adjust old-fashioned roller skates of the kind that were fitted to the wearer's shoes. Okay, they were fitted. What were you adjusting them for, though? I don't know. That makes no sense. Probably tighten them. You put your shoe, like, on the skate. So the shoe's not fitted. So the skate's not fitted to the shoe. You fit it yourself yeah, and then tie it with yeah. the skate. Here, okay, let me, okay. Let me, let me show okay. you. I, I think I understand the so concept. So it's, it's, like, it's like one of these. Yeah. It's a roller skate. They that go around your shoe. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's actually... Before, before they had shoe roller skates. Right, yeah. Know? Yeah, so anyway, my, but my point is that, you know, his his interactions just with children mm-hmm. are, you know, bright and happy and that's optimistic. Right. And, that's right. And, you know, he likes them and they're sentimental. Yeah. And, I uh, think the kids are a bridge to his past when he was happy yeah. before he became a teenager. And I th- everything since then has been bad pretty much for him. So, Right. Or he sees himself getting into that because what are adults? Adults are phonies. Um, mm-hmm. Adults are mm-hmm. uh, prostitutes. You know, his, his brother's a prostitute. Yep. Yep. I think there's a lot of, um, and this is sort of proto, like way before this became a thing, but like uh, punk rock mentality uh, of like never sell out. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, and. If you if you do your music in front of people and make it look good, you're somehow corrupt and phony. Right. Right. I think this is that same mentality kind of coming through. Well, and then there is a in, in about ten years when you start getting the you know the movement is never trust anyone over thirty. I think is is never kind of trust the, anyone over thirty. Tune in and drop out. Yeah, tune in and drop like out. That. So in like the sixties, I mean, this is kind of all. This is sort of proto hippie, proto yeah. punk, like way before any of that stuff. But, but it's pointing to that. It's pointing to right. that. Right. Exactly. I mean, this is and this is actually I think Kerouac wrote on the road in like 55 Something so you've like got that. this whole kind of people wanting just some type of escape is escapism mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's a term you know break out of this of this stuffy parent you know what your, your parents world sort right. of thing right right um and escape you know get back to yeah. some type of innocence yeah i was thinking two two threads like first of all this is a sort of a disease of prosperity right mm-hmm. like no, there's never true. been a more prosperous dominant society than the united states right, right after world war right. ii right but these kids really had nothing to worry about materially. So you start turning to these other things, these like spiritual ailments and stuff right. like that. And and the other thing is, I think it's also to say spiritual, I think it's kind of rooted in an idea. Uh, so, so I think a lot of these people kind of atheist, right? Like mm-hmm. You're getting to a point, most people in like high society and stuff like that are kind of atheist, but I think they still have some of the Protestant mentality. And I think there's a tradition of And this sounds like I'm talking out of my butt, but I actually have textual text text to back it up. So, which surprised me because I thought of it before I read the text. But I was thinking like, when Jesus says that when you do charity with the right hand, don't let the left hand know you're doing it. So you're supposed to be like authentic Mm -hmm. while you're doing your charity and stuff like that and doing good works. Mm -hmm. And it's applying that mentality to a framework where you're like performing your music, but like you don't do it so that it makes you wealthy or makes you cool. You do it because it's you do it for its own sake, mm-hmm. and he actually mentions he actually talks about it later on in the book. He talks about like the disciples and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Talks about the nuns. There's a whole scene where yeah. he, he gives to the nuns, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of embarrassed about giving them money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then uh, talks about how his mother would never give, or his aunt actually, no, actually, actually his aunt that he says no, would never give money to them if it may, if she had to wear ugly clothes. No, while no, doing she, it. she would never collect money for them. If she, if she had to wear, if she had to wear while like doing it. black, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, because she would never do that. Like, they were generous people, but not if, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless they can look good doing it type of thing. 
Yeah. So yeah. I was sort of having that thought, and then he talked about a few things expressly, and I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. This yeah. is this is kind of what's going on behind this. Behind no, the yeah, here. absolutely. Because I have this idea that even though a lot of people have left those traditions, actually being religious, that mm -hmm. that's still part of our culture and our intellectual culture, just the way we behave and things right. like that. Well, you mentioned like the Protestant mentality or work ethic mm -hmm. or morals or something like that. That's fully ingrained in Western civilization, exactly. not, not just Christian More so America, countries. though, right? Like a lot of countries aren't Protestant. If you're French you're not really going to have a Protestant mentality. Lots of countries, but but in America, mm -hmm. at least for a long time, for probably sure. less so today, um, that would be your, your background. What are we, uh, are we going to drink something tonight? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just... Um, Did you go with the obvious sort of play on the title of the no, book? Oh, no, okay. not at all, not at all. Because, okay. no, because, okay. yeah, no. I wasn't um, sure about that. Sort of preparing yeah. to drink rye whiskey. No, no. We're, we, what, is, what is it? So where does, where does the novel take place? Where is it set? New York City. Okay, not just New York City. Not just New York City, but... Upstate what, or wherever what, the oh, what's the borough that is? what's the borough that he's in? He's he's roaming around where mostly Manhattan. Yeah. So ah, okay. And, okay. And I think, and I, I think <laughs> I can see where we're going here. And all he's all he's at, he keeps asking everybody if they want to share a cocktail with him. Mm -hmm. Starting from the train, you know, his uh, co-student's mom that he tries to work the graduate angle uh -huh. on, I think, and and invite her to the cocktail. You okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wounded, wounded myself on the way over here. <laughs> what he does for this show, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. He, he, he runs into curbs and crashes his bicycle. That was not to do with the show. Yes. That was to do with uh, lack of ability to get over that curb. <laughs> See if he had roller Never skates. learned that move where you pop over the curb. Yeah. For some reason, when I was a kid, I thought that was impossible and uh -huh. just let that last throughout my life. I never figured that <laughs> trick out. It's yeah, pretty not, simple. Not but the hardest. No, it's really not. But I, it intimidated me when I was six, so I just never <laughs> did it. All right, so we are, this is, this is what we're having. Okay. Um, if you want to get us some, we'll get, get us some, some ice. ice. Yeah. yeah, there's ice over here. Let's let's you're, put you're the microphone at, in the ice bucket. You're good at the. Uh, there's always way too much ice when we do the show. <laughs> like nobody yeah, could ever always, use this we much have ice. A lot left over of an evening. We're and back. we're back. All right, we're back. Sorry, I had to step out and grab something to open this with. This is from High West Distillery. Uh, High West Distillery makes um, um, bourbon and and. Uh, um, I think they make some rye and, and and so forth. They're at, based out of Utah, but they make a. Barrel finished. I'm sorry, they're based out of where? Utah. Can you be based out of Utah? You can. Huh. Yes, you can. Um, I went to Salt Lake one time and, like, just to get a beer. Yeah. It's you not, had to sign not. in like you were going to a private <laughs> club. and it was Well, they, they do like industry there, though. And, and they do. Yeah. Well, it's, this it's is, true. Uh, it is this a red is, state. Yes. So this is a barrel finished Manhattan mm. cocktail. Okay. Uh, already bottled. It's got everything in it. Uh, it's made with their straight rye whiskey. Okay. Straight bourbon whiskey, vermouth, and bitter. And is that the standard ingredients for a Manhattan? Yeah. Manhattan. So it's like a fruitless old-fashioned kind of? Sort of. Well, like a lot of the same so, ingredients. Well, sort of. So this has a, this has sweet vermouth. Old-fashioned does not. Ah, old-fashioned has, true, has true, true. Um, essentially simple syrup. syrup yeah, things, simple yeah. syrup in it. And But it does have the cherries and it does have uh, orange. This has okay. bitters, vermouth. And so the traditional recipe here is two ounces whiskey, one ounce vermouth, and then two dashes of bitters. Okay. 212. And that is the area code for Manhattan. This is go. true. This go. is true. So I don't want to slow things down, but what are bitters? What are bitters? Do you have a quick uh, quick description of what exactly they are? Not really. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Because I have a whole bunch of bitters at home for making old fashions and things right. like that. But I a lot of different can't actually tell you what it is. A lot of different tasting bitters, I'm sure. There's mm -hmm. orange and peach, and there's mm -hmm. all kinds of different stuff. It smells like an old fashioned. It's gonna it's gonna taste a lot. It's it really yeah. does resemble. It's a good old drink. Fashioned. Cheers. Cheers.
That was a terrible clink. It was a terrible clink. I think I'll I'll delete the actual clink and I'll add in, Can you edit in my sound effect clink, clink that I, Of course, That's it's good. my sound effect clink that I made myself, so it's not, <laughs> it's not right. all that phony. It's not lousy, crummy. What do you think? I think that's a nice, tasty drink. It's a little more, let's see, like you said, a little less sweet yeah. than an old-fashioned. They also they also do sell an old-fashioned, um, this, this High West. And what I actually wanted, there's a distillery in Texas I really like. It's called Treaty Oak Distilling. Where's that? That is in Dripping Springs, so the hill country between um, oh, San Antonio. Oh, like west of and, Austin? Yeah, and uh, they've got a ranch there. I think it's called Ghost Hill Ranch or something like that. Like Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool place. Cool. But they make a, a barrel-finished old Ghost fa- Ranch old is in New Mexico. That's the place with the dinosaurs up in northern New Mexico where, yeah. George, where George, George O'Keefe painted. But Ghost Hill Ranch, you said? Isn't there another ranch where they do like UFOs as something like ghosts? Isn't there a ghost ranch? I mean, like we have in, Roswell. Yeah, obviously, but, but I'm not. No, I, I don't think know. there's actually docu series like on Discover or something about it. Mm. In any case, weird Treaty Treaty Oak Distilling, uh, definitely recommend it. They make a barrel finished old fashioned that's fantastic. Hmm. Okay, that's good. My favorite old fashioned is at the Matador Bar in Santa Fe. There's a guy that makes them down there, and they're yeah. just, they're awesome. It's really I've, good. I've never been there. I, I think I've, I've been to Santa. I'm I'm native New Mexican. I think I've been to Santa Fe twice. <laughs> I've been a bu- I like yeah. Santa Fe. Santa Fe is a pretty cool town. I always tell people when uh, when, it, when we travel, when they, they you know ask where we're from, we say we're from New Mexico, and, and they say Albuquerque, and they say Albuquerque or Santa Fe, and yeah. I say, well, New Mexicans don't live in Santa Fe, so I yeah, <laughs> I you're, wouldn't. You're live not there. wrong. You're not wrong there. about that. I run into mostly Californians when right. I'm in Santa Fe. Although right. actually, I've met like some native Native American people mm-hmm. in Santa Fe that are obviously native New Mexicans, but I have not met. Do any. they actually live there though? Yeah. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I haven't met a lot of like white folks from Santa Fe. That's that's not something that's happened so far in my experience. <laughs> right, right. But I do happened. like that town. Have you, did you watch the show Longmire? It's supposed to take place in Wyoming, mm-hmm. but it's a hundred percent filmed so, yeah. in New Mexico. Right. It's all and set. There's there was a Northern scene where Mexico. they go into a like a dive bar. Yeah. And they walk in. I was like, that's the Matador. And I was like, that, oh, I was right. like, they're going to turn around. And that's where the bathroom and the dartboard are. And that was what it was exactly. I was like, okay, <laughs> right. that's where they filmed that. I've heard, I've heard a lot, a lot of good stuff about the Matador, though. Yeah, it's um, a good bar. We should do a field trip. Yeah, that would be fun. We should do a field Actually, trip. Actually, have you there. have you been to Rose's Cantina yet in El Paso? No, I don't think so. Is that the one that's down by the border? Yeah, that was the speakeasy that was right on the border, basically. No, well, no. This is uh, so. This is Rose's Cantina. It's on. It's this little tiny little shack dive bar. Okay. Uh, right across. It's on, um, you know where Sunland Park uh, uh-huh. Racetrack is, right across. I, I, I haven't been down to that area. I know where it is, but I, we've been to Western Playland. Yeah. That place. yeah, right, right. So it's, it's in that area. But well, then we're doing is, that. We're this doing is that. Uh, Rose's, Rose's Cantina of El Paso. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to put a lot of regional information onto a podcast that's going out <laughs> to, like, people in the Philippines right, and Spain. Absolutely. And people in Bali like would love to hear yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's an interesting region of the world, I have to say. It's not one I drove through here once when I was a kid, uh, mm-hmm. like a teenager, and I was not impressed because – if you're not used to the dust and everything yeah. and the lack of trees, it's just like, okay, get me through this. But right. having stayed here for a while, it's a pretty interesting region. Like, yeah. I recommend it to people as a stop. Yeah. El Paso, especially. As a stop. Yeah. Not as a live. Well, I mean, if you're going stop. to, if you're seeing sure. the country, you know, like right. I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of cool history around here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that. Was the margarita invented in Juarez? Potentially. Okay. Supposedly, right. Yeah. There's like three origin stories and one of them's in Juarez. But the burrito was invented in Juarez. 
That's a bigger yeah, deal than that. That's, that's kind of a okay. Deal, yeah. okay. And tequila was first imported into the U.S. Uh, from Juarez and El Paso. Okay, because Guadalajara is supposed to be the the home of tequila. Yeah, well, that's right? what they make it. But okay. where they import it? Yeah, the first okay. importation. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. All right. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool history around here. Yeah. What else? No. What what Caulfield? His favorite cocktail. Do you remember? It's very simple. And I was thinking about getting that tonight. But oh boy, he says it, doesn't he? What a lot. It, it w- Scotch and soda. Scotch and soda, yeah. yeah okay, but, but, I guess you're, but, we're stretching the definition of cocktail I in know, my mind. But like, yeah. yeah, huge. Scotch and soda. I used to drink when I was a young man. I went through a phase of scotch and soda everywhere yeah. I went. I don't know why. I think, and that's funny because it's an old man's drink. It's totally an old man's <laughs> drink. I think because my dad introduced me to right. it. He'd get like a uh, famous grouse and put some yeah. club soda in it. Right. Like, that was like a, a, co- a cocktail. I have an uncle. I'm using, I'm using air quotes. I have an uncle who's in his 90s, and that's his nightcap every night. Wow, is, is scotch and soda. Hmm. So. Yeah, I think drinking but not to excess is actually kind of a way to live a long time. I've heard a lot of stories about people who are like, the kind of guy who has like one cocktail right. at night, you know, right. just kind of Doesn't preserve pick, themselves. pickle himself. No, night. not getting, yeah. no. I, I, I have a buddy whose dad, I literally used the word pickled. I was looking at, he just looked pickled mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he was just never, never messy, drunk or anything, just mm-hmm. kind of preserved, but like temporarily, not, yeah. like, not to live a long life, I don't <laughs> think. Right. He was marinated. Marinated. Soaked. There you go. Yes, it was in. marinated. You could see it. See it in his eyes. So he's scotch and soda. Yeah, he's drinking that um, in the scene, especially the one I remember where he meets the older women mm-hmm. that are that are traveling there from uh, like uh, Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Seattle. Yeah, he was in the uh, lavender room. Isn't that a funny place to sort of describe as being a place where like hicks come from? <laughs> Only a New Yorker, you know, in the well, 50s. Well, Seattle, like, 1951. It, it would have been it, different. It, though, it was a lot it different. different yeah. Though, yeah, definitely. Would have been um, almost like a frontier town, I think. Yeah, not uh, not like a. It re- no, definitely was a frontier. I mean, yeah. they were known for logging, and that yeah, was about it. Sure. One of the other diagnoses I have for Holden Caulfield is mm-hmm. just lack of a woman. Sixteen years old, you know, he didn't have any girls in his life, or not any girlfriend or anything. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny how he spends all this time talking about phonies. Mm-hmm. Don't be a phony, but he totally behaves like a phony when it comes to women. Every time. Every single time, yeah. except with his little sister. Well, and and but uh, well, no, just with everybody, with his friends too, and with the people that he went to school with. You know, when he tells Ackley that, uh, and he starts making up stuff about what Stratletter, why they were fighting. We were fighting because he was calling you names, and I was right. defending you. And blah, yeah, well, blah. he talks about being sort of like almost an impulsive liar. Yeah, right. right. In a lot of places. Yeah, that's true. That's I, a that's a psychiatric diagnosis that's gone out of favor. What's that? People used to talk about compulsive liar. Yeah, that used to be a thing in film and like books right, and stuff like that. Right. You never hear anybody talk about that anymore. Well, that's because there's truth. There's truths. Truth truth is a multiple, you know, it's a multifaceted thing now. Yeah, but it'd be telling people you're a scuba diver in France when you're not is just a lie. If there's that's no, your if that's your truth. Uh, if that's your you truth, know, yes. Yeah, Are you trying to say if you identify as a scuba diver? Why in not? Okay, yeah, <laughs> why that's a little not, different right? than lying, but yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But well I you know I did have one observation. I, I wonder I wonder yeah. if um if, it, if the parents have anything to do with it, because like the he, compulsive lying, no, well, just with his attitude towards everybody, you know, in general. Uh-huh. I mean, so he meets at that that one a fellow student's mom on the train, yeah, like, late at night. Did you kind of think so? Okay, I have a theory to hold on to. We'll talk about and, it later. And, go, go ahead. And the way he acts towards her, right? Mm-hmm. And then he acts the same way with the nuns, and he talks, and then he reflects back. You know, they reminded me of her. They remind. Uh, he yeah. said that the nuns reminded. Yeah, yeah, that's that, true. That, they were kind of having a similar conversation. Yeah, but yeah. they were just just nice people. He enjoyed talking to them. They right. weren't phonies, and they would say stuff that 
in another instance, he would say would be phony, right? Uh, so he, it's almost like, so like I said about Phoebe being a bridge uh, to childhood, yeah. it's like those women can be a bridge to adulthood, but he has no Maybe, concept of what know. a man is like as an adult. I don't know. It's just, you don't know if like, is, is he searching for like a mother figure in his life or something? I mean, is there, is there something, because you don't get anything about the parents and I, not much, you know, except that the mother is broken the, or, you know, yeah. wounded by what happened with Allie, I think. that That's the implication. It's but there's also, there's also the, do you ever watch the show Mad Men? Of like course. Like how, how they portrayed wives, like totally seen, yes. not heard. Absolutely. You yeah. know, you got a job to do. Like the Rolling Stones um, song, uh, Mother's you know, Little Helper. Mother's Little Helper. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's the same thing. And so, so dad is off. You know, dad didn't care about the kids. I mean, in uh, Mad Men, they didn't have anything. I to do always with remember the, kids. the episode where he goes to build the house for his kids. You remember that? The, the they get play, like a, toy, the playhouse? a playhouse for he them. Gets totally and he just drunk. gets hammered and <laughs> just wanders yeah. off. Like they show him like beer bottles around. Well, that was just... the same episode where one of the kids is running through his house and breaks like a vase, right? And there's two dads talking. As he runs through, knocks a vase off, breaks it, and one of the dads says, hey, come here. And the kid walks up to him, and the dad cracks him on the side of the head. Yeah. And he's like, you see what you did? And then the, then that di- that kid's dad comes in and is like, what's going on? Oh, hey, Johnny, we just had to straighten out Billy or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's like, oh, okay. And then the dad cracks him. Yeah, there was once an agreement on how parenting should be done. Yeah. You know, Not that that's right. I don't actually think that's right. But there would just be a community of people that all had the same plan for how you raise your kids. Yeah. They all had permission so, to so smack you could, them. So you could, you could discipline somebody else's yeah. kid. Today, forget about it. Like, you wouldn't even raise your voice to somebody else's kid because yeah. maybe they don't believe in raising their right. voices to their kids. Right. Or, you know, you certainly wouldn't do anything else. Like, but it's just, there, there's a different perception of that. Like, the, the dad had one job. The dad had a job. The dad was the, the breadwinner. Remember in, right. even that stupid movie Christmas Story yeah. with Ralphie and stuff? Yeah. When they're, they're it's a good in, dad, though, in that movie. It He's is pretty but, involved, but like but but there was a lot of insight into into the relationship between kids and dads mm-hmm. because you know my old man this, my old man that. When they were getting the Christmas tree and they got the flat tire, dad goes out to change the tire, and the mom's like, "Why don't you go out and help him?" He's like, "Oh my God, really? I, I get to go, <laughs> I get to go help yeah. help the old man or whatever." Sure, yeah. And they revered him, and he, and he, but they just remembered him from coming home from work. Sure. You know, and, and going to work, right? So his dad is never around. His dad's really busy. He's a corporate right. lawyer. Right. And his mom fell apart after Allie's death, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. She hasn't been the same since his death. Now, if you remember... So, so we're left to infer, I think. I, it's not that, really... No, he says... I mean, he says yeah. that. that okay. She's been sad and, you know, mm-hmm. ever since since he died. Well, that was four years ago, you know, by the time he's talking. Losing he, a child, though? He it's was really not... Yeah, but I mean, to still... Who knows what... It looks like for him with his with his parents not there. So and plus they just you know they send him off to prep school. Yeah, I, Which I don't is know. It's totally just, alien to the way people parent today. Yeah, if you did well, that well, today, well, I feel like people would think you're a bad parent. And just that's what I'm saying. Like so, he meets these women, you know these these nuns and then that other mom, and they become like that's what he's looking for, you know, in an adult, mm-hmm. like somebody who's treating him nice, who's you interested, didn't think there was a interested sexual in him. undertones of both of those. There, kind there's of, sort even of, with the nuns. I didn't th- I didn't get it on less, with the less nuns. so with the nuns. Well, I mean, he talked he, talk, he talked about Romeo and Juliet. Had a lot of sexy stuff in that's it. That's right. right. That's what I mean. There's an um, undercurrent. So I, I felt really weird talking to him about that. Yeah. I thought maybe. there was an undercurrent, and maybe, I thought there maybe. was definitely an undercurrent with the woman. Well, on the maybe train. that's saying something about your mom, then. Which, uh, you know, she's no, Louise, not your mom, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe there is that complex. Sorry, we have to stop the podcast while I <laughs> beat the <laughs> out of class. <laughs> All right, Never. Well. So what I uh, what that was making me think of. So I was talking about this as a tangent before. So when he's talking to that woman on the train, 
and I thought of this independently, this book is a lot like The Graduate. And I think that that Mrs. Robinson yeah, thing. Yeah, in a certain way, I think, I think maybe somebody read, was The Graduate, it was a book first too, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but I think somebody read Catcher in the Rye and they were like, what if he actually hooked up with that woman mm-hmm. on the train? Because right. I think you're sort of imagining that when you're reading it. You're like, is that where this is going? You right. Know? Like, it kind of leads me to my there, biggest there surprise is, of the book, by the way. There is tension. Like. There is tension. There, there is, is tension. tension I, that he I builds. There is. Yeah, there, I think there is. tension that he builds, but then it just kind of like withers away, mm-hmm. right? It's like, is this where it's going? And then it's like, oh, it just kind of doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, no, you know? no, no, definitely. And uh, so you've got, you've got the definitely the innocent, the young, and that's what he admires, and that's what he wants to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's kind of decrying the prostitution that you have to that that's you right. have to go into to, to you know when you become old. Family seems pretty functional in a lot of ways. Otherwise, other than with the parents, but like the relationships between the siblings. Mm-hmm seem to be very strong. You know, like DB, the one that he's talking yeah. all this, he's the one that's coming to visit him all the time in the hospital. Right. That he talks about at the beginning of the book. And he just also obviously really admires his brother as well. And he's really close with his yeah, little sister. Funny. And that seems well, pretty functional. It's funny with DB because he admires him, but he, he thinks he's a sellout. Yeah. You know, like like he's could have been, you know, he could have been a writer. He could have right. been somebody. Right. Right. He probably feels that way about his father as well, right? I don't, know. If yeah, he, I don't know. You know, I don't mean, know. He figures being a corporate lawyer is a sellout. Doesn't ask he, he just, how he gets to live in Central Park West. Right. Otherwise, his, yeah. da- his dad's a prostitute. I think rent, rent had to have been different at it that time. It was different, <laughs> but it was still a premium address. Well, all I mean, of Manhattan's was, premium now, pretty much. Nowadays, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean... I can still it, remember when I was a young man, there were areas where young people could live yeah. in Manhattan, like yeah. in the city. Right. It's not like that right. anymore. No, not at all. I used to visit friends down in Alphabet City and places like that, mm-hmm. and they just had crummy apartments, a couple of kids working mm-hmm. as waitre- waiters and waitresses, able to live there. That's right. not a thing anymore. That's not happening. Nope. Unless you stuck eight people into that same apartment today, yeah. it'd be $3,000. You know? no, it's ridiculous. Or, so, or maybe I'm just talking out of my butt. It might be more than that. But. Quite a bit more. Actually, the first time I went to, to Manhattan, we rented a flat just north of Central Park. So it was in South Harlem. And it was a two-bedroom, one-bath flat mm-hmm. in a newly remodeled building. You know, we're checking out. It was like an Airbnb or something like that. So we're checking out you know, all the cabinets and everything else. And there was a flyer like in one of the cabinets. And I looked at it and it was the first sale flyer of when that place was on the market. Uh-huh. It was like 850 grand oh, yeah. for that place. Oh yeah. And it was probably maybe 700 square feet, something like that, if that, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was like, good Lord. Well, Harlem is completely different. Than oh yeah, Harlem's. Har- yeah. Harlem, like when I was, like at the same time I'm talking yeah. about where Alphabet City was just, mm-hmm. n- was just cheap. Right. Harlem was almost like people still thought of it as a place you don't go. Right. I did go there. I had friends. I had mm-hmm. a friend who lived up there, so we used to stay there. And it wasn't actually all that. It was like going to Brooklyn. It wasn't sure. dangerous, yeah. really. But it was uh, It was just different. It's, it's really gentrified. Well, what huge. happened? There's an the, olive garden the, uh, right next to the Apollo. <laughs> the uh, Clinton Foundation based their headquarters there. Okay. In like 2000, the year 2000. And I think we went, God, when did we go? We went like 2009 or eight or something like mm-hmm. that. So it was still kind of when the Clintons kind of fashionable <laughs> family. Sure. Yeah, it was it was different from what I hear uh, than, than it, it used to be. But New York's kind of a character in this book, isn't it? It is totally a character. New York is often a character in things like in shows and, in, in, you know, Mad Men. The city's a character, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of things. It's an interesting place. Like it definitely, there's nowhere else like it. Right. You know, I mean, there's a couple of places in America, Chicago, San Francisco, sort of, but not really. Yeah, not they, really they don't have, if, once you've been to New York, I mean, it's just so recognizable, especially Manhattan, mm-hmm. like, you know, Madison and Fifth, and, right. you know, and, and right. Central Park and Pond, 
you know, and the skating rink sure. and stuff like that. I mean, you know where all those places are, even if you've just been there once, right? Mm-hmm. And the it's museum, so the museums, easy to find your way around. The Museum of Natural History. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, I know the exact things that he's talking I know about, the, the exact, Indians. Yeah. yeah the you know, I, I was actually thinking about that because that hall, that giant war canoe, mm-hmm. which is still there yeah. today, that hall was the obsession of Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. He used to wander around that same hall and it, like, inspired him to his entire career in mythology wow. and like, stuff like that. That was, like, his favorite part of the museum. Yeah. So I was, like, thinking about that when right. Holden Caulfield was talking about that because I didn't grow up in New York, yeah. but I grew up in D.C. Yeah. And the Natural History Museum in D.C., yeah. I know every inch of that place. Right. I spent so much time there as a it's child. The Smithsonian, right? The Smithsonian, yeah. 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 The, the, but the Natural History Museum, mm-hmm. the main, with the rotunda and the elephant and everything, like, that building... Is like a peaceful, calming place for me. Is like that's a castle. No, the castle's actually mostly administrative oh, offices. Okay. It's, right. it's right across the mall from the okay. castle. The right. castle's the old brick building. This is yeah. the one with the big dome. Okay, I know exactly what he was talking yeah. about. And actually, honestly, the American Museum. Mm-hmm. I also have the sort of a same relationship with. Every time I go to New York, I always go there. It's like my favorite place. I yeah. really like that. Like it kind of, it kind of reminded me. That we used to go to the museum, and I was there with my friend, and he was complaining because I was like let's go walk around the museum. Let's try to see every single thing today before we go home. And my friend was like, I really don't want to go to the halls with the <laughs> stupid fake people. Oh, the fake people. Yeah, <laughs> they the di- had like these the di- models the dioramas, of human yeah. beings, you yeah, know, yeah. like from other cultures. And stuff. Yeah, the dioramas. I was thinking that's such a Holden Caulfield right. phrase, the yeah. stupid fake people. And I think maybe... But he w- he liked them, though. He liked them, but wasn't that sort of the metaphor there, that he was going through the hall of stupid fake people and he's complaining about phonies? I think there's a yeah. contrast there. Well, no, he liked... Because them. they were calming. They didn't change. The fact that the, and I won't say Eskimo, but the Inuit was like fishing in a hole. Every time... And was still there yeah. every time. was calming to him. Yeah. was grounding to him. Right. And it's like a contrast that, that is to like... CD kind of thing, isn't it? But I, well, except that I feel the same way. Yeah. I liked having a place I could go where everything stayed like the a, same. Like an anchor? Type yeah, of like thing. an anchor, exactly. Mm-hmm. I always felt that way about going back to visit my parents. Mm-hmm. I'd go back and, and my stepdad would be sitting in his chair. My mom was watching. They'd watch the same dumb yeah. Lifetime and Hallmark movies. And yeah. I was like, okay, I would never want to watch these things, but thank God they're here doing yeah. it because it makes me it's feel comforting. Yeah, it's right. comforting. Yeah. You know, like it's like a glass of warm milk or something. Right, right. You know? I think that's what he's talking about. I don't think that's that weird. Yeah, you know, no, I don't uh, think it, I don't think it's weird at all. I think you know maybe it's a, I don't know maybe I'm a little OCD, but and uh, I mean you know again I mean and you would actually kind of mentioned it. I mean this adolescence is freaking hard. Yes, it is uh, on yes, it on is. on everybody, but I especially mean, those preteen years. My my daughter. I'm not preaching, but. Yeah, my daughter, you know, fourteen years old, twelve, thirteen, were really, really tough years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like you said, you know, at twelve years old, he had this really traumatic experience yeah. where, like, yeah, you know, the one thing that you know the 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 person that he admired most, his younger brother, got taken. And then from then, it just seems like it's been kind of all these series of everything. Okay, I was just thinking. Oh, okay, mulling things. No, no, just this, just this, yeah, just look at your face, like. Uh, no, but, but do the, you remember I was talking about the friend I had that had like a like his parents got divorced when we were like twelve. He had like a really bad rupture. Mm-hmm. Like went from being like a kid that was like in sports and like doing well at school and like all this stuff to being like a drug dealer by the time we were fifteen or wow. sixteen. And man, I was just thinking about it. He had an older brother uh-huh. that was like in the army that he really looked up to. Uh-huh. And a younger brother and a younger sister. He had exactly the same wow. family, like almost like Holden Caulfield. Uh-huh. It's very weird. That's why I was staring off into space. I was like, oh, my God. Did anything happen to any of them? He lived. um, He's alive, but he had a lot of trouble with the law. But, I mean, like, like did did one of his, 
siblings die or something like that? His parents got divorced. His parents got divorced. Parents got divorced, and it was bad. And his dad was completely gone afterwards and ran off with some lady. Oh, jeez. So, uh, and it hit him just right at the wrong stage of life. Yeah, because you're already, everything's changing. I don't know how you felt at that age, but I kind of felt like the ground kind of drops out from under you. Like nothing you could count on before is the same. Like, you know, friendships get screwy. and, And I didn't have a particularly traumatic time of it. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And if, it, if something like that that's genuinely traumatic hits mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know how you, you know, I don't know how you'd recover. That'd be bad. Yeah. Like my grandmother died when I was that age and that was hard to deal with. But that's minor compared to divorce or the loss of a sibling. Yeah. Your parents got divorced, right? I was a baby. I don't remember it. Yeah. And see, I was three. Yeah. When, when, yeah. when mine split. So yeah. product of the seventies and yeah. you know, Gen, no, it's, Gen it's X, right. man. That's why I think my generation, at least me, I, I got married a little later. Got married a lot more seriously. Uh-huh. Like my wife and I, both of us, our parents had been divorced, and both of us were like, "We're not doing this casually. This yeah. is we're getting married. Like right. that's the you know like we yeah. were very serious about it. Make sure it's the right person. It's not just some pretty face. You right. Know? Well, we got we, I got married young, but we waited like ten years to have kids. kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we really. Didn't have that option in my family, but <laughs> well, <laughs> we started out as a as a prefabricated unit, right? So. But no, no. I mean, you still uh, you still waited a while. We waited for Alex. the little ones. Yeah. yeah, we waited for the little ones. So yeah. I mean, but but I mean, entering it, you had entering had it one. Was, but but yeah, I mean, but we we got married young and then did a lot of hanging out and partying and traveling and stuff. That would have been nice, you know, and made sure. But we did it broke. We were both poor college students and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. Anyway, so back to this. I have absolutely no conception of how far we're in. It's always a complete surprise to me. <laughs> I'm going to guess 30, 40 minutes. I have no idea. Yeah, so. something like that. You know how the book opens, right? Yeah. It's kind of a famous opening line mm-hmm. where he's like, you know, I, you want me to tell you all about all that David Copperfield crap, right? Right. His name is a lot like David Copperfield, Holden Caulfield. Yeah. That's not an accident, David right? David Copperfield. It starts out with that. I mean, that's... Caulfield. Yeah. Don't you think? I never heard that name Caulfield before. It's not like a common name. Heard the name Holden, though. I've heard a name Holden, <laughs> but I think it comes from the book, right? I'm wondering. Yeah, that's I'm wondering, what I'm thinking. Wondering if our friend knows that. Yeah, I think he does. Um, he's, a, he's a man of letters. Yes, he is. You got a lot of letters. Yeah, I didn't realize you had the master's, too. You did the bachelor's, master's. Of course. PhD. I was just looking at you. You left me in your office to wander around for a couple of minutes beforehand. I was looking at your credentials. That's, that's, that's cool. You did everything. Well, yeah, everything I could do. I got kind of got addicted to, to school after flunking out of school <laughs> many times. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. When was that? School-sponsored vacation, I call it. Oh, um, okay. They invited okay. me to leave in, gosh, I think it was 1994 for two years. So is that college you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not I, your not your fancy prep school up in upstate New York. No, no. Yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't do Pensy or anything like Pensy. that. You know? Pensy. Pensy uh, and uh, or Wooten School something. or something. I can't something like remember that. what the same was. <laughs> no, Elkton. But I, but Elkton was the other but one. But I did have the same problem with Holden. I, as Holden, I... I just I had no direction. I got to college because all of my friends were going to college. Right. And I I kind of panicked and I was like, oh geez, I, I guess I, I should go to college too. So I got into college. Trump. Well, I was here for a good year and a half. <laughs> they they finally said you you gotta leave. You gotta go. <laughs> so they invited me to leave. I, I stayed out for about two years before I got back in on my hands and knees. You know, apologize and came up with a plan, and then I just set your ship straight. Ship straight yeah, I, I yeah. never, I never looked back. I said ship, by the way. Ship, yeah. Sorry, I know it sounded uh, a little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's you, you know, ship-faced. I felt that school. way all through high school. Yeah. I mean, junior high, high school, I was always like doing poorly. Never understood why. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I was just, they'd be like, "What are you doing?" I'd be like, "It's not the plan. Yeah. I just can't uh, seem to keep it together." I don't uh, know. I'm I, just not. I just, I don't care. I don't that's know. I, I. Uh, 
started dating this girl in 11th grade mm. and she just completely set me straight. She was just not the kind of girl that was going to accept a guy who was not doing anything in school. And I yeah. did way better at the end of school and uh, just, just change it. Not, I'm not, I didn't do great, but you know, I started getting A's and B's instead yeah. of getting sometimes D's and things and stuff <laughs> like that, like, right. which was ridiculous. So a girl turned you around. Wow. Pretty much. That. Pretty much true. That's a cliche. Yeah, it is a cliche, but it was true. I, I, I buckled to peer pressure, basically. So. <laughs> you know, I think for me it was uh, I had a brother who was, who was super competitive. Okay. And he got straight A's. He, he uh, skipped a grade and everything huh. else. And wow. I just, uh, I don't know if I just didn't, like, just didn't want to compete or try to compete, but I just didn't. Yeah. I just didn't care. I, I got more interested in going to parties than going to class. And I didn't even go to parties. Yeah. That's the sad part. I was not partying. <laughs> you were just lazy? Like, I was a little bit more like Holden, honestly. Yeah. I do things like... I have this distinct memory of going to Borders Books when it first opened mm. in Virginia. Mm. And I bought this big book called Delivered from Evil. It was like a 900-page history of World War II. Mm-hmm. And I stayed up all night reading this book and slept through class the <laughs> next day. I just didn't go to school. And, like, I did that multiple times with stuff like that. There's no- yeah. nothing cool about it. it just, and noth- obviously I was the kind of person who liked to learn what the hell. What but you, was you, wrong you were, with me? You were interested in things you were I was interested in, in things yeah. I was interested in. Yeah, and see, exactly. that that's what, so. when it came to college, it took me a while to figure that out. That right. Like, you got to go through all the, the lower-level crappy classes yeah. before you can get to the classes that you're Easier really... Easier said than done. That, that yes. you're really interested yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. And, and, okay, once I figured that out, you know, I, I, I got through them. Right. And then I got into the classes that I wanted to take. Right. And master's degrees is more of that. Right. Master's degree is, like, all the classes you're interested in. Right. And then the PhD is more of that. Plus you get to like research it yourself, the stuff that you're really interested in. For me, it was, it was, it was kind of a no brainer right. um, to go to graduate school because it was stuff that I wanted to do. Mm. Right. Things that I wanted to learn. I'm not being forced to right. do stuff that I don't care about. So, Yeah. I played around with the idea of graduate school for a couple of years. Uh-huh. I thought about different fields. I'd studied international relations undergrad. I thought about different specialty areas, mm-hmm. I actually went to the Middle East to sort of learn some Arabic and learn about the, learn about the oh, region. How interesting. I didn't and know I kind of decided not to study Middle Eastern affairs because of the experience I had. I yeah. was sort of like, it, I mean, it's fa- it was fascinating and it stuck deep inside me. I learned a ton, but I was kind of ambivalent about the experience. Mm. I was not, I did not come back in love with the culture. Yeah. I did like it. It's, I didn't have negative feelings, but I wasn't like, I want to just do this for yeah. the rest of my life and uh-huh, be in this place for the uh-huh. rest of my life. And also I got back. September 2nd, 2001, from the Middle East. Wow. So it was pretty intense at that yeah. time, the whole Middle Eastern thing. Right. So that's, I, that's around the time I ended up going to law school, actually. That was my original plan, actually, Let's go to law school. It's not a bad plan. I mean, it's always served me well. It's a good, yeah. it's a good profession. It's, it's a good degree to have, even if you mm-hmm. don't do yeah, the it profession. Is. So it's a terrific I, uh, education. I got accepted to every place that I applied to. Okay. But got put on the waiting list for one. UC Davis. And I graduated. So I got my master's in December. Okay. So I had to wait a semester before I could, a right. semester and a summer before I could kind of matriculate. And that was kind what of. And the hell does that word mean, by Matriculate? Yeah. Like go to, it, go to the next level. Oh, or so it's not a synonym of graduate. It's it, it, transition It is, it, it is sort thing. of. Yeah, but it's, it's more of a transitionary. So if I, let's say I graduate with a law degree and I'm done, mm-hmm. not going to school ever again, mm-hmm. that's not matriculating because I'm not moving on to anything. No, it is matriculating. You're moving oh. out of law school and into something else. Whatever, Even if it's nothing, you're moving into a new phase okay. of life. Okay. So graduated in December, took my LSATs in like, you know, August or whatever, applied to everywhere, heard back from 
all of them in like February, right? Mm-hmm. I had had a plan, had a, had a scholarship to one and uh, send in my money. You have to send in money to reserve a seat, yeah. you know? So yeah. I sent in my money to reserve my seat and stuff. In the meantime, the company that I had interned for while getting my master's degree called me and said, we would love for you to, to work for us and we're gonna give you a lot of money to do it. Wow, And okay. uh, I said, well, can I pick where I wanna go? And they said, yeah. I said, not California. <laughs> I said, yeah. You didn't want to go to California? No, it's just okay. too expensive to live there, even yeah. back then. And they said, sure. So this is like 2001. That was it. So actually what I did is I Googled, I did a, I always call it the, the Google changed my life. I Googled, uh, or the search, I guess, that changed my life. I so was going to say, do we have, you used Lycos or Alta No, no, they had Google. Google oh, okay. was a thing. Right. 2001. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I Googled starting salary, new lawyer, average starting salary, new lawyer, something like that. And it was like $31,000 a year. Seems low, but okay. And I went, oh man. (laughs) That's figuring in all the guys that don't get a job. I think think there's not a lot of people in that Well, it's also (laughs) like, you know, it's like public defenders. Yes. It's like all the, all the. But those guys get paid more than that. All that. Yeah. It's, I looked at that and I was like, it's paralegals. You know, and then I looked at what I was being offered, which is, which is well over doubled. Sure. That, that was it. And oh. uh, went and worked instead, and then uh, then went back for my PhD. I always thought I'd want to get a PhD someday. Yeah, but I never, never ended up doing. It. I got a master's in sort of like military history, mm-hmm. but I kind of felt like I'd scratched the itch. I was like, yeah. okay, I studied this for like two years. Um, I don't think I need to do this for five more years, right, and, right. and get even more narrow than I had sure, to with that. Sure. I was like, okay, I feel like this educated me quite a bit. I think I'm done. So all this is is to say that we understand. Holden Caulfield. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think most, most. I mean, it's a free society, so we all have to make choices for right. our lives. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I was just actually talking to some people the other day. It's an Indian couple I know, and they were talking about arranged marriages. And I, I was saying, yeah, you know, I had a friend whose father was from Pakistan, so he kind of had an idea in his head when he was having trouble dating and stuff like that. He was like, uh, maybe I should go ahead and get an arranged yeah, marriage. Right. Because in more traditional cultures, you don't get to decide what your career is going to be, who you're going to marry. Sure. You, we don't, mm-hmm. you don't have these problems if you're yeah. living in medieval Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, like nowadays it's probably more universal, but in the 40s and 50s, this would have been an American disease. Trying to figure out what you're doing with your life right. and figure out what your values are going to be and fi- figure out where you're going to live and things like that. So I think it's, we, we understand this. We understand yeah. these dilemmas. Sure. I think he's on top of it mentally ill. I think. <laughs> I think. I think. I think he's got genuine psychiatric issues. I think he's got trauma. I think yeah. he's got childhood. Yeah, trauma. they may be touched you know? off by trauma. And, and yeah. or but again, we, we don't we trauma. don't know why he's in the hospital in the first place. It could be a mental hospital. You know, there isn't really anything in there that says to me send somebody to the mental hospital. At least not anything that his parents see. Well, this is he's ta- talking about the story a year after it happened. Is it that long? Yeah. Okay. okay. So it it. You know, who knows what happened after all of that? Right. Nervous breakdown, and, mm-hmm. and, and which he's he sort of. And there's there's one scene in there that I, I was gonna I want to just discuss, and then we can kind of wrap it up. But um, Jane okay. Jane Gallagher, girl that he's totally infatuated with, right? Jane's the one that his his roommate goes on the date with. Yeah. Right. That right. Uh, line up all of her kings in the back and everything. Right. She keeps like her that. kings in, yeah. in the back. So there's that scene where they're playing. What does that mean? Uh, what can you do with that? What, is, what does that I mean? I don't know. You're a professional English <laughs> major know. type. Of, keeps all her kings in the back row. Like keeps all of her options open. I no. think is what that means. No, she never. Or she's, she, or she's she, too cautious. She never uses. She never uses like the powerful, the most powerful piece on the on the board. She just keeps them all lined up, and she never uses them. She just gets them there, right? And then never does anything. Oh, so, you were talking yeah. about the girl. Okay, so yeah. that's the. He's, uh, he's I thought we were just clear. getting our ducks in a row. Since no. he came back. All right. He's uh, he's clearly infatuated with her, but something's going on with her. 
In did, what way? Well, I mean, did you did you notice that scene where they're playing checkers, right? Okay. And oh yeah, and, and he always he her, always her stepdad's he, hurting her or something. Holden always talks about that drunkard that Jane's right. mom married, right? Right. And one day they're playing checkers on the porch, and he comes mm-hmm. out and he says, "Are there any cigarettes in the house?" Mm-hmm. And she doesn't answer him. She just like acts ignores like she's yeah, yeah ignores him and looks yeah, at, you yeah. know looks at, and then he sees her like cry, right? And then she just she doesn't say anything. She just ignores it. What's going on, right? I don't know. Something bad. You can I only mean, imagine. Hitting I mean, her, molesting her, or something. 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 Well, obviously bad he's a drunk. So I say as I as I take a sip of. I mean, it could <laughs> be. It could be as simple as missing her dad, not liking having right. this drunk guy around her house. Right. It could be that simple, but it seems more traumatic for mm-hmm. her to be crying in front of this boy. But that's um, why he likes her. That's why Holden. Okay. Is, is so infatuated with her because she's broken. Well, he keeps obsessing about the detail about her keeping her kings in the back row. And right. He says but that, what's the boy's name, the the cool guy, the a- tall, cool guy? Astelor, Astelor, something I like that. Yeah, something he like says that. he doesn't care yeah, he she keeps her kings in yeah, the back row. So care. I think he sees like a kinship between them. And I hadn't connected yeah. it to their brokenness, but I think that's yeah. what it is. I think for him that represents that brokenness. Yeah. It's something he would do. He gets a snowball and holds on to it for three hours. Right. She keeps her kings in the back row. It's right. similar. It's an inability to launch in a way that commit to, to yeah, do to, something to act to move to yeah act, to move yeah. you know so yeah kinship between the two yeah. of them I think that's true I hadn't really put those details together but I think you're on right. I think you got it and it's that, really I mean this is illustrative of the book as a whole because you can read it as this garbled almost like free thought writing that I'm sure somebody that didn't take the book seriously would just dismiss it as that. It's genuinely a really good book with a lot of interpretive value. Yeah. Because we're talking about, we caught on to different things and we could talk about them all day. Everything from the intellectual history of the Western world down to what it's like to be a teenager. Right. And we could talk about it intelligently, I think, for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's, that for me, that's the work of it. So I'm kind of giving away what my answer at the end sure, of the show sure, is going to sure, be. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just saying, I think I think the fact that we can talk about these things, and you're saying right. that, I didn't pick up on it, but you're 100% right. Yeah. All the details are there. I think that's a sign that we got and a then, good book that we And we're then he, he juxtaposes, gives you an alternate version uh-huh. of everybody in right. the, in the book, right? So uh-huh. there's there's always, there is a, a character that Holden finds endearing or trustworthy or, you know, Whatever quality he's looking for in people, right? Holden, there is a character that Holden will find, okay? Phoebe or Allie, right? Okay. And then there is an opposite character of of that character. So you've okay. got you've got his older brother. Uh, what is it? DB. Uh, DB. I think you've got um, this. DB J- could also stand for something else in my in my vernacular, but we're not, what? What could it be? Don't approve of someone's behavior. You call them a DB, you know? Which means what? Donald Brashear. I don't oh, know. Oh, Donald Brashear. That jerk. But uh, so you have Jane Gallagher. Who's and he, Donald Brashear? Yeah, Where did know. that name go? Anyway? Did he have, what's her name? Sarah. Was that the doctor in Deep Space Nine, maybe? Anyway. Look that up. Let's move on. No. Uh, so so up. what's the. Uh, what's going to die on the airwaves. What's the girl that he takes to the. Uh, oh, God. Um, Sarah, is it Sarah, Sarah Hastings or. You're up on this more than I am. I think, I think that's her name. Something like okay. that. The but, girl they go skating with. Right. Right. So there's her. She's a phony. She's a fraud. She's right. a fake, you know, and she's she's necked, you know, they, they've necked together. And she's in parallel to to Jane Gallagher. To Jane she's Gallagher, she's in, right. she's opposite of Jane Gallagher. Contrast, the, I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, contrast. Right? Uh, Sarah comes from from high society and is totally in that world. They both do, though, right? 
Jane, they both sound but like wealthy Jane, people. Yeah, but Jane doesn't seem to embrace it. She's not yeah. a phony. Right. You know what I mean? Um, right. He never, he never gets to first, really first base with her. Remember, she, she keeping your kings in the back row is is the same as what we were talking about before with like. If you have something like when he talks about how if he could play the piano like the jazz singer can, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he would play it in a closet where no one could hear it. Yeah, that's keeping your kings in the back row. Yeah, it's like hiding whatever you're good at under a bushel. You know, it's hiding like the opposite have, of yeah. opposite of what yeah. you're like what most people would do. Right. So yeah, and and it seems like she gets him. She's sensitive. He identifies with her, and she's he's interested in her trauma. Yeah, he's interested in what's going. You know, okay, right. this is more interesting than a girl who's just thrown herself likes to go to the yeah, movies make out and stuff like that right exactly so so that that's kind of another thing i saw is like you know for every character that that uh salinger has in here he's got an opposite version of that okay so he's got one that that uh has attributes that that holden you know can can latch on to that he likes that what about the teachers are you saying that maybe the old teacher the history teacher is contrasted to arnold feeney and that makes sense to me now that you're saying it because he's got this sort of bohemian lifestyle yeah. Arnold Feeney does and right. the other guy's this like boring old man so they're kind of contrasted but, but, but very but, he, but very he's more but, conflicted about who he likes in that but guy, very right? buttoned up you know he he likes right. the old man because the old man's honest he but he also likes he Arnold Feeney yes until not Arnold Feeney that's not no. right Antolini Arnold Feeney yeah, is the Arnold guy Feeney. from Sopranos Jeez yeah. Louise Antolini but Antolini no. you know i mean that that whole thing goes south yeah. Right. Yes, it um, certainly does. Yeah. And so Definitely. and so he's a phony. He's a fraud. Right. 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 He's crummy and everything else. Crumb bum. We're, no, the, we're the, the old the, the old prostitute calls him. A I know. Crumb bum. Yeah. I know. But that's where that comes. But but Antolini is all those things. What do you where, think of the language in this book? You know, that's an interesting thing. This this book was banned. One of the most banned oh, books well, in America. I mean, definitely dropping f bombs and stuff is not okay. Yeah. He definitely uses GD, a couple towards the end of the book. GD, yeah. at, yep. you know, every yep. I mean, every other word is, yeah. is GD. But I was talking more of teen vernacular. Oh, the, yeah. all, all these words that to those people, it, you know, in the 1950s seemed mm. like, wow, you're writing in this, and I'm like, crummy, phony, lousy. Yeah. Those are just regular words. That has nothing <laughs> right. to do with being like. I even I thought lousy. I associate that with the First World War. I thought that's where that. I thought that was a much older. I term. don't know. But anyway, so that was real. Yeah. Apparently, that was a big shock for teenage a lot of people. 1950s. Right. Yeah, teenage vernacular. 1950s vernacular. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking about. But again, that. but again, on the road is the same way. If you if you read if you read oh absolutely you know, that yeah. it's it's the same type of it's what it's how people talk. It's not Faulkner's stream of consciousness, but it's right. much closer to the, just a thought. Like a what yeah. is the term for the way that the Kerouac writes? Like what it's it's just very. It's well, not it's, stream of consciousness. Yeah, it is stream of consciousness. It, I, yeah. I guess yeah. so. It's not. This is almost like stream of consciousness in some place. I think more so because he repeats himself. Right. And uses a lot of the same phrases and things like almost the way somebody does when they talk. They they, right. they sort of mix mess up. Well, that's the point. He's talking to you. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Think, yeah. So anyway. So anyway. Right. And then we did this, and I was like, he no, actually was, says, "I was like, yeah, I, was I, like I was like, I didn't realize people said that. Yeah, back then. Right. that was an '80s yeah. thing." But and I was thinking when I read, I've always thought someone like Picasso, right, can't paint like Picasso, except that he's already established that he can paint like Da Vinci. And then he can paint like right. Picasso. That's exactly so I was right. thinking Salinger, having this book open up the way it does in this like, you know, stream of consciousness, as we said, stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. I may be using that term wrong, but it's just speaking that way in this like very natural vernacular, it must be tempting 
in some parts of the book, and I was thinking this in the first couple of pages, I was like, it must be so tempting to be like, yeah, but I can really write. I'm going to put right. in a passage here where I show that, and he totally does it a couple of times. Like when he does the ancient Egypt thing and stuff like that, when he, he talks about the books that Holden Caulfield likes, it's like he's establishing his bona fides. Yeah. Not even so much, yes, for Holden Caulfield, but also for Salinger himself right. being like, yeah, yeah, I know how to write. Yeah. Like, trust me, I know, I don't actually think. That's a good point. You know, that I, that I should do this. I'm like, breaking the rules because I, I, I know rules what the rules I know are. It, exactly. I know the rules, yeah. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Um, that would be hard to resist. I don't know if he's a first-time writer. Uh, obviously, he's got some kind of a career going because he said he's writing in serial and for publications. But, like, Franny Did, and Zooey and things like that are later, right? Yeah. Like that's, he had more of a career. He had nothing. He, he became, like, a recluse, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he wrote this book, uh -huh. and it exploded, and he hated the limelight, man. He hated uh, all the phonies, I guess, that were showing up and, you know, right. one of interviews. And, right. And, it's and very he, punk rock response to it, things, right? It like, was huge Kind of like rock, Harper man. Lee, right? He kind of disappeared Exactly like, like yeah. Harper Lee, yeah. Like, Harper Lee never wrote. She wrote, her she, she wrote she, a book about she, 10 she, years she ago. Wrote a, she wrote a sequel, right. Was it a sequel? I thought it was like a or just a I never read it. I never read it. I never read it. Book, I yeah. never read it. But it's called, it was called Ghost, it was called Ghost at a Watchman. I remember thinking when I saw that name, I remember making the joke in my head that I later saw Stephen King tweet, which was like some guy who's always late to everything, and his friends <laughs> are like, "Go set a watch, man." Go <laughs> set a watch. <laughs> That's man. How I read that title <laughs> the first time. So Salinger's got there's like 15 novels that he okay. wrote, never released, and apparently his son and former wife, his widow because he was married like four times or something like that. But the last one that he married... Why did like, I feel like with the cadence you said that it was his son and former wife? Like that was one person. I was like, yeah. that's a weird... No, that <laughs> can't know, be right? the same person. Yeah. Well, it's, what, what's interesting is it's, it's not his son yeah. and daughter. I think his, his daughter betrayed him by writing a biography about oh, him. Oh, boy, that would be rough. Yeah. That would be rough. Uh, so it's his son... Daughters, daughters, if you're listening to this, please don't <laughs> do that. So the executors of his account were his son and uh, his, his widow. Okay. Uh who was like 40 years younger than him. Oh, good for him. Which is actually younger than his daughter. Ah, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll, that'll do, do it, it. right? <laughs> which explains why she wrote that book. But uh, yeah, so he um, so he wrote this. He had um, published, you know, a lot of uh, short stories, like collections, short story collections, novellas. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember, yeah. Yeah, and that and that's about it. So I think like in 50, in the 50s after this, there are maybe like five or six other, th you know, years that he published things. Mm. In the 60s, maybe two or three, he just became more and more of a recluse, didn't want to be bothered by anybody. He'd Did you ever he, see Field of Dreams? No, I've never seen it. For some reason, okay, so this is not going to be an interesting conversation because I was going to ask you if you knew more about it, but I, I had this impression that James Earl Jones's character in that movie was like J.D. Salinger in huh. some way. Let's just let that thought huh. die out there. Okay. I, don't, I don't know what that where I was, but I got the impression it was a reclusive writer it was either J.D. Salinger or based on him. Mm -hmm. Probably based on him because I don't think J.D. Salinger is African-American. No. And that was an issue in Field of Dreams. <laughs> I just said Jewish. <laughs> was J.D. Salinger doing? Lithuanian Jewish, yeah. Interesting. Actually, he became he became really, he was really into all kinds of different metaphysical stuff. And he, he became like. He was he, into the Kabbalah and stuff like that? Uh, well, he became Buddhist and then Hindu. Okay. And then he tried. Franny and Zui is tried, all about Buddhism yeah. and Hinduism. It's these kids, these rich kids, uh -huh. and they just talk about Hinduism constantly. Yeah. And you're like, what? Okay. <laughs> and then uh, then he gets into, he gets into, he, I mean, he gets into Scientology. He gets into, mm -hmm. you name it. He's, he's, he's tried it. He was like, he was a man looking for a religion. 
sure. is what he was. I, you know? That's what I was talking about. I yeah. think that generation was atheist by nature and sort of looking for something yeah. to fill that void. Well, no, they weren't you know? atheist by nature. That's the thing. Is they No, were, I mean, they started from a point. No, no, no. That, that was the interesting thing is they were devout Christian race, but lost i mean it became i think more the impression i got uh, the characters in this book oh anyway, i don't know about salinger himself i mean salinger i'm just saying i'm just saying gen- ge- generationally like the 40s and 50s yeah like, but i like, think but that's like most people i'm talking about these upper class people ah. i think were raised with a sort of version of protestant christianity which meant very little to them other than as a cultural bond yeah i think they went to church you know oh like, i see kind of like the way anglicans are in england like sort of like yeah, that's what I am, but I don't, sure. you know, I'm not really into it. That's yeah. just not the way people, like, not the way people are, like, evangelical types, yeah. type, uh, really being engaged with your religion, mm. like, just sort of, yeah, that's, I see. we do Christmas. Yeah, I see, like that. yeah, like, yeah, you're probably right. And so I think that it was sort of an absence for some, some personality types can't live without that yeah. in some way. They have to fill that in, right. you know, they have to find something to fill that gap, um, and I think that caused a lot of this soul searching mm-hmm. and, and seeking behavior. So did you ever, so this is a book that I thought was kind of like Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Did you ever hear of My Struggle? It's this, it's by Carl of Nosgaard, Nosgaard. He's Norwegian and it's like- Isn't that what Mein Kampf? Yes, <laughs> that's how you say it in Norwegian. Okay. No, it's the, that's, he did that as like a, he was being provocative. Ah. The, in Norwegian, because I have my, heard of Mein My Kampf. struggle in Norwegian is very similar. It's yeah. like min kum for some min kum for something like that. And he did it as like a read my book, you know. Like sure, he was sure. like he was like l- l- pay attention to me, yeah. you know. But it's kind of tongue in cheek because what it is is it's just this seven volume and I mean 5 or 600 pages each of these books. Jeez. Like Catcher in the Rye style mm. of like free thought and going through his life, but it actually ends up having the structure of a novel except that it is his actual life taken from his journals. It's a great read. It's huh. super long. I read all of them yeah. over the course of three or four years. It's really, it's, I just recommend it, <laughs> you know, like on okay. some level. It's very dude novel uh-huh. in a way, in a, like a smart guy. Not, not, like, not like dude novel like, uh, I don't know what Joe Rogan would write, but like it's a, it's a, a, you'd like it. It's mm-hmm. guys like me and you would like reading this book, and I recommend it to people of that ilk. My so, struggle. You know, okay. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. There's some re- there's some real hilarious dark humor. Uh-huh. You really get into this guy's head yeah. because you get so much detail. But anyway, it's similar. It's a lot of like. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it. At least read one volume of it. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'm not gonna recommend you dive in and read. Right, I mean, right. this is like three or four thousand pages of, of <laughs> a, a Norwegian guy. Yeah, life. you have to commit. But I got hooked. I mean, I was. It was like a TV show that you like. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna get the next book, and I'm gonna get the next book, and I read all of them. Yeah, so. I'll check it out. Check it out. You know, similar. What do you think about the title of the book? The title was, you know, based on what he told Phoebe, right? Like he, he, uh, his kind of fantasy, kind of like, yeah, of being a catcher in the rye, like to catch kids before they fall off the cliff, right? I'll be honest with you, I don't uh, 100% get it. Okay, so I'd like to hear your thoughts. Like, I, okay. I'm not 100% sure why that gets to be the title of the book. Well, I think it's based on that song that that, that he hears that kid singing. When he goes and buys a record, I can't, it's like to catch a catcher in the rye or something. I can't remember. When a body meet a body coming through the... That's what yeah. his, his sister's yeah. singing it, isn't she? I, no, it's, it was some kid... It's when Robert was, Burns poem, he said. When he, when he was uh, buying that, like, that Mr. Bean's record. Yeah, he bought some know? crazy record yeah, for, for his for, sister. For yeah, for Phoebe, right? Very hipster. Yeah, Very yeah. hipster uh, uh, purchase, it yeah. sounded like, yeah. And so he heard this kid singing it and made him happy, right? Uh-huh. But he, yeah. that, that, that started kind of a theme about... So based on that poem... Mm-hmm. about kids going through the rye, but then they, 
they fall over a cliff or something like that. Yeah. And so he, he they need a, they need somebody to catch them in the like be in the rye to catch them before they fall over the cliff. Which is clearly a metaphor for his crisis. It's right. clearly a metaphor for growing up. Right. 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 Because all the kids are innocent. All the kids, they're all wholesome people. I mean, he, there's not one child. You know, he doesn't talk about children in like he talks about teens or adults, no. you know, where the teens and adults are all phony. You don't get the dark bastards side of children. and stuff no like dark that, side right? Of no. It's not like Lord of the no. Flies. They're just, like, they're just yeah. innocent, genuine people. And, and like when they talk to you, you know, you know, you know that they're telling the truth and blah, 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 like all that stuff, right? Right. And then everything, and then the juxtaposition is when you grow up, everybody else is a phony. Mm-hmm. They're a fraud, you know, all this other stuff. I don't know. So maybe they, they need somebody to keep them from growing up, oh. keep them from turning into phonies, keep, keep them from turning into frauds. Falling off the precipice of adulthood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess so. You know, okay. going over the cliff. But is know, that in the poem? No, no, no. I mean, that's not. It's but I mean, his, it's his thing. Yeah. It's his, his okay. interpretation. But I think that's what, I think that's, what, that's the metaphor okay. that, that we're looking at. So Catcher I, in the Rye is... The Catcher? Mm-hmm. So I actually went back and looked it up after I read that bit. I, I flipped all the way back to the book, and I was like, was it a catcher's mitt? Mm. It's not. It's just a baseball it's glove. It's a left-handed fielding glove. A left, is yeah. it left-handed? Okay. But I, so, and it's written Which is over, an interesting detail, right? Which is an interesting detail, right? Like, what? maybe it just makes him more of a person, right? Makes Allie more of a person. He's, a le- he's left-handed. Yeah, he's a lefty. So it gives yeah. it a little bit of personality. Because I was thinking, I thought there was some kind of baseball connection there, the catcher and the rye. That was a, but. I think it's just a coincidence that they talk about a baseball glove. Although yeah. it's poems written all over the glove. So I there may be a Robert Burns, because it's I, a Robert Burns poem, the when uh-huh. a body meet a body kept coming through the rye. Mm-hmm. So according to him, as we've established before in the podcast, I know. You know nothing about your, your Scottish. About, about, uh, your Scottish. About uh, about uh, Scottish uh, heritage. Yeah, Scottish heritage. heritage yeah, yeah, so. When it comes to poetry. Um, I didn't really a hundred percent get that, but I, you know, I thought I, I think you've you've I talked thought, me through it. I think I, I thought, sort of understand. I thought it, I thought it was an all-American thing for Allie to do, right? I mean, yeah. Allie was yeah. was your all-American good good kid. Can always trust the guy that plays baseball. You know, and That's and a and, good and guy. he was he was obviously he was an outfielder, right? You know, and and he played baseball. I mean, I mean, so he was just an all-around right. kid. So he wants to us to identify with him. That's if, if you're if you're 1951, sure, y- your kids play baseball. Every kid played baseball. I was telling then, somebody you know? the other day, and they, they disagreed with me about this. But apparently, the reason we went with the pineapple style grenade uh-huh. for the United States Army easier to throw because of baseball. Every American man knows yeah. how to throw a baseball, right? Whereas they have those potato masher grenades if yeah. you're German because True. you know they're they're un-American, and right. <laughs> yeah. demonic. You know, yeah, so they, exactly. They use weird weird throwing right. objects, but I think that's still true. I think it's. A, I, think I think it's a good point. Your average American guy could throw a ball. Still. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, to the extent that our kids well, have to leave their houses. I don't houses know. And, I don't you know. know like, yeah, I, they could. They could certainly throw it on, say, Oculus. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're spindly. They're spindly yeah. little, like yeah. you know, atrophied yeah. arms. Probably. Right. Could, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. True. As they're drinking their shake and on their little hover. These poor kids. Yeah. These poor kids. Hover lounge. So speaking of kids, there's one thing we didn't touch on yet. I talk about teenagers, right? Uh-huh. The teenager is a cultural concept that is uh-huh. in its infancy. When this book was written, that's the, a good the point. Word that's was, a really good point. The word was yeah. only first used after World War One. Yeah, um, and it didn't become a thought that teenagers were like a problem and like stuff like that until well into the 50s. Or, or that was a phase, right? That that was yeah. a phase, and that that was something yeah. that had like trials right. and tribulations that yeah. come along with it. 
that idea that wasn't created that's until after great, World wow. War II. Yeah, that's a really good so point. I never thought of that. I was sort of thinking about that, and I imagine having this book in 1951, which is several years before J. Edgar Hoover put out this report about teenagers, that yeah. the American teenager, you know, I think this book has a lot to do with the creation of the teenager. Mm-hmm. The idea of the teenager is this troubled, you know, as a, as a time in between, you know, like that a bridge is, between Man, that's, a, fa- that's a fantastic point. Cause, and I think I've, I've mentioned before, I had a... I had a the first guy, the first job I ever had, uh, this guy's dad would would come into the store. It was kind of a retail store, and he'd, he'd come in there all the time. And this guy, yeah, was, this was uh, you were talking about the older guy. Yeah, the older guy. So he was a World D-Day. War II vet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and he joined the army. And was like fourteen years old. Okay. L- literally, like right. nineteen thirty-eight. Right. 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 Yeah. Middle of depression. His. We mom, talked about this in yeah, the yeah. Patton episode. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, Salinger fought under Patton. Oh yeah, I he know. Twelfth under, under the yeah, third yeah. under the third army. Yeah. But uh, but but that kind of thing. I mean, the dude's fourteen years old, okay. going into the army, right? You know, and not and, a teenager. And, and yeah, That's not a teenager. He, you and yeah. I agreed that that we right. could never do that, no, because we were teenagers. Right. He was an adult. Right. At fourteen, he was an adult. You know, yep. I, you know, you you got out, and I think Carol Shelby, and I mean, there's all, like all these stories of all these icons that. Who's Carol Shelby? I don't know who that is. What, ladies and gentlemen? I can't learn if I. There's, this, there's this this man drives a BMW. Pride has no place in learning. Yeah, uh, letting he, you know I don't know a thing. Carroll Shelby was the greatest uh, American car innovator. Actually, okay. it's not. But uh, the, this the, is the Ford V Ferrari. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carroll Shelby. Uh, Carroll Shelby was a race car driver. Then he he worked for Ford and and uh, cars are not my wheelhouse. I don't know anything Drives about cars. Drives a BMW. Yes, anyway, it's a, so it's, uh, a, it's a sweet BMW. Too, not not a not a Mustang. Or no Ford. Uh, I've been I've been appreciating Mustangs lately when I see them go by. I drive I drive a car. I drive a Chrysler. Chrysler what? Yeah. What kind of, What kind of vehicle is it? Oh, it's a it's a Chrysler POS. I don't know if it's a POS, <laughs> but the point is it's a minivan. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have children. I do too. My kids know yeah. how to get in the, the, the two seater, like they crawl into the back seat. That's and, true. Yours yeah. is a coupe too. Yeah, it's it's just it just gets worse and worse. Dad, I have TV. Not a dad vehicle, I have yeah. TVs in the back of my car. There you go. I can entertain my children. There you go. I can keep them watching Veggie Tales. Twenty four seven. How did you know? What I'm saying is all these uh, these icons of they all came out of World War II, like Carol Shelby and 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 all these other guys that came out of World War II. You hear their stories, and it's always like. Well, I had to drop out of high school at 15 right. years old because, you know, I had to support the family and blah, right, blah, blah, right, right, right. and all this other stuff. I mean, they were adults. They were, there was no teenage years uh-huh. back then. Because no. Te- teenage, the, the teen age was a luxury, wasn't it? That was bought yeah. through war, you know, through... through. It's a luxury of material success yeah. for the country, but it's also, right. it's also something that developed when we expected a longer education process. Right, like when you Probably. move from an agricultural uh, well, to a, yeah, you that's move from an agricultural point. to a yeah. service economy. Well, that's like, the point. You know, you can get out there and start working in a factory. Well, we always marvel, farm, like you know, you know, oh my God, you know, the, these Egyptians get married at like fourteen years old. Right. How odd is that? Right. Well, it's not odd for them. No, that's an adult. Not. You yeah, know, they're absolutely. they're able to have children at that age. So to them, it's perfectly perfectly normal. Isn't a bar mitzvah? Isn't that a celebration of 13. adulthood? At right? thirteen, yeah. And uh, quinceanera in the like True. Hispanic culture, I think it's fifteen. That's what that means. Did you guys do that? Are you guys gonna? Did you guys do no. a quinceanera? No, 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 we don't. We're not. Gonna. Theoretically, you could. Our our daughter is not able to have children at, at fifteen. No, no, not until she's thirty. At oh, least. oh, yeah. you you mean you're not going to allow her to have children? I see. <laughs> I see. No, it's just not humanly possible. Right. But in any right. case, um, 
I don't think you have to be ready to have kids to have a quinceanera. I think it's just like well, that a was coming the, that out tr- party. Traditionally, though, that was right, the point. Right, yeah, right, was right. The coming out party was, I am now an adult, sure. and I can, I can now get married at Debutante. 15. Debutante. You're, right? de- you're debuting. Well, and debutante as right. well, you yeah. know? I mean, these are, these are traditions that were based, that were old traditions, because kick your butt out of the house, <laughs> you know, kid, and go get married and have kids of your own and go work. Speaking of people know? failing at school, one of, my, one of my best friends growing up went off to his first year of school, and... Uh, he did terrible. I mean, just awful. He mm-hmm. was not a good student to begin with. Yeah. Probably and he went there and joined a fraternity. Yeah. Came back like at the me. end of the year with Fs. Yeah. And he came back to his parents' house and told him he got the bad grades. And they were like, so which one are you choosing? And he was like, what do you mean by that? And they were like, Army, Navy, Marines. Nice. He was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Navy, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. Went off and joined the Navy. Best thing that ever happened to yeah. him. It was much. He needed somebody to crack the whip on. Well, they were, they, were, they were smart people. I, I have a... I have a I have some friends like that too. That uh, they're like they're tell they told their kids, "Look, you're you're gone, yeah. whether you like it or not. I, we don't care if you go to college. We don't care what you do. Eighteen, you're out. Yeah, you know. And um, I don't have the chutzpah to do that. I'd I'd, I'd have to. It's it would be tough. I keep trying. It'd be them. tough. But see, though, those my friends are older and they're from a different generation yeah. where it was kind of yeah. like you know that's that's what happened. But yep. but that's such a great point that they don't use the word teenager anywhere in in the book that I can remember. Oh. Uh, yeah, he I don't was know. sixteen. I don't think it's not it's not uh, prominent. But what they do is they they say every time he wants a drink, or and with the prostitute. Did you it's, think the drinking age would have been twenty one? Okay, hold on. <clears throat> no. In nineteen fifties, eighteen. Is I would have thought. thought. It was, he says twenty one in this book. Really? Yeah. When he's in when he's but in everybody New York, yeah everybody's asking him how old are you kid yeah. you know are you old enough to have a drink you're not old spe- enough to have a drink. He specifically says I'm twenty. He says I'm twenty twenty one to drink. Huh. And I was shocked because. I could get a drink in New York when I was nineteen. You so, but th- you that that's sort of that's sort of the I law think, was twenty one. That's sort of what I thought is like it, you know in nineteen thirty six. I don't think it really mattered, you know. But now in nineteen fifty one, it probably some somehow it mattered. I have no idea. You know, I have no idea. The, my my the, take the, would have been that right. The, that the prostitute cares about how old he is. You right. know, the pimp cares right. how old he is. Yep. And how old are you, kid? I'm oh, I'm twenty two. Yeah, I'm twenty two, sir. There's one thing I thought Salinger. I thought he was very prescient because he says he has Mr. Antolini, the teacher at the end of the book. He has him tell him that this this generation that he's in and the personality he has that he's going to die in a an unworthy cause. And I was like, that sounds like something someone complaining about Vietnam would have wrote mm. in the 70s. But it's like that hasn't happened yet when this yeah. book comes out. Is he talking about Korea maybe, sort of? It seemed to me like so it, that's why it feeds into that hippie vibe to some extent. It's yeah. like you're, you seem like the kind of kid that's going to die in an unworthy cause. And I was like, what, where's that coming that from? Mean, yeah. you know? You're just coming out of World War II. That wasn't right. an unworthy cause, right? That's not what you're and, talking and about. And you, you read Salinger's. Um, vaguely, vaguely. He was like he, – he, he was immersed. I mean he was – Full pot committed in World War Two. Oh, he was in the dish. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. Uh, yeah. He was at the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, and stuff like yeah. That. yeah. Well, actually, it was Utah Beach Battle right. of the Bulge. Right. Went all the way into to Germany, and then volunteered into the. Uh, he was at Hurtgen Forest. That was a bad yeah. one. People don't talk uh, about. He it, went so. to not Dachau, but it was like a, a, a sub camp mm-hmm. of there okay. that he, that because he was a he was an interpreter, so he could speak French and German. Oh, nice. And uh, and so they had him in there. Uh, when they liberated uh, one of the concentration camps, okay. then he stayed on for the what they called the denazification of yeah. Germany for yeah. like another right. six months or the, whatever. The process Patton didn't believe in. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, so I mean, he process. was he was in it. Like right. he saw the horrors of war. 
uh-huh. you know. And I think I think that does guide part of this. You know, it it's got you got to gotta, gotta so look. You gotta he look even for, mentions he mentions the author uh, Somerset Maugham, who one right. of his books, and I can't remember which one it is, is a guy coming home from the war yeah. from World War One. And having the same kind of experience as as Holden Caulfield, mm-hmm. just being lost and uprooted, and maybe maybe that's why he could identify with it and wrote about it as an adult. Maybe he had some of those veteran experiences, yeah. you know, like post-war like yeah. trauma and stuff like that. And he was putting it because he's writing about how old is he when he's writing about Holden Caulfield? He's not a particularly young man. I don't think. Well, I don't think he's, he's, not, he's, a te- he's not anywhere near being a teenager. Oh gosh, and he no. wouldn't understand no. being a teenager in the fifties. No. So where where's his experience coming from that he's putting in this person's head? I mean, maybe, maybe he's a terrific writer and he can inhabit a, a person that's completely well, different I think, than I think, him. I think it's about 10 years removed from yeah. his life. Yeah. Because he, 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 he went to prep schools in the 40s in New York, in New York City. 30s. It would have been the 30s. Because if he fought in World War II. Well, that was 42, though. I mean, because so he could have. So Caulfield was 16 and 51. Um, if he was 16 and like, yeah, maybe like 40. Yeah, because he, he he was enlisted. He entered college and then he dropped out. He was real like, young. Yeah. He was real young in World War II. Yeah, okay. But he was enlisted. He wasn't an officer or anything like that. There there are metaphors, and I'm sure you know some of this is is. is I think a writer. I don't care how good a writer is. I think a writer has to have lived some of the experience to write it. Yeah, I well, don't think you can just completely make somebody. He up. says this is, it's based on him. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can write yeah. convincingly about someone that's nothing like you. Right. You know, uh. maybe there's some people that can pull that off. Who's the guy that wrote Cloud Atlas? Uh, David Mitchell. Mm. Really, really good. Really talented at like just creating and just really. Re- that's a different level, though. But so, what was your biggest surprise? Um, ha- when was the last time you read this book, and how many times have you read it? I, I've read. I, I think this is probably like the fourth time I've read it. Okay. okay. Uh, last time I read it was probably. It's been a while, about five or six years, I think. Oh, that's not that. Okay. Um, so you're probably not that surprised by what's happening here. No, no. I, I'd seen it before, but, like, there are certain things, like the whole Gallagher when she's, when she's you know, has that teardrop. I mean, there's certain, just certain things that I get more of now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I'm older and I have kids. You yeah. know, I, I, I understand more about trauma and what it can do to you and stuff like that. It's almost painful <clears throat> to me how much this brings back the experience yeah. of being a young person yeah. and being just so dumb. Yeah. Just being so dumb. Right. <laughs> but yes. only because I was that dumb. And everything, and I, you know, everything, got it. Like, everything is dumb. Everybody's a phony. Everybody's a jerk. Everybody, right. you know, blah, you know, you're just so wrapped Denialism up. Nihilism to being a teenager. Yeah. In so, so wrapped yeah. up in that. I guess, I guess biggest surprise. Let's find a surprise with something you're yeah. so familiar with. Yeah. I read it the last time, either right before I graduated high school or right after high school. I uh-huh. went through a phase. Like I said, I sort of stepped up my academic game at some uh-huh. point, And I did a lot of independent yeah. reading, trying to catch up on the stuff I either read badly or never read at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read this right around that time. So that's at least five or six years ago, mm-hmm. right, that I was talking. This is, <laughs> this is, I'm so old. Yeah. It's not even funny. Yeah. It's like 25 years ago. Oh, by the way, about, y- so. you left your walker over yeah, by the door. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, so I only vaguely remembered the book. Yeah. Honestly, the events of the book. I remembered New York mm-hmm. being prominent, and I remembered uh, I remembered some of the things. I remembered the way the book was written. Mm-hmm. But what shocked me reading the book this time is when Mr. Antolini fondles him or tries to fondle him. Pats I, him on the head. That, that really, I was like, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Even having read the book once before, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I can't so, believe that just So happened. he pats him on the head, and he's, yeah, like, I guess caressing it's not his that head. Bad. I guess it's not, yeah. But Caulfield takes it, Holton takes it as a, as a, a pass or whatever. I think rightly so. 
Probably. I think I think, I think, he, I think that's one time we're holding. But here's here's the thing though. Here's what I I've been wondering about. What was it originally? Oh, was it dirtier? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, because that that yeah, you know, the publisher, Little Brown, whoever the publisher was. But there has to be some ambiguity, right? Like that's part of the interaction they have. That's is there's good, some ambiguity, no, that, that, and then Holden well, call, he's kind of wondering about it. He leaves yeah, the apartment. And he's yeah. like, "Wait, did I do the right thing? Yeah. Did I overreact?" Yeah. And if he was like touching him on the nether regions, that would not. Yeah, be, maybe you know. And no then he ambiguity. feels bad about it. Right. So like, eh, that's a good point. So yeah, there may have always been, there may have always been something a little more G-rated, mm. or I guess it's G-rated, but. But again, you know, he he contrasts it with old whatever his name was over at uh, at Pincy. You know the. The old the kind author of stodgy. Does. I don't think Holden Caulfield makes the point, does no, he? No, 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 no. But yeah, but the, the author, author does. Is, I mean, yeah, the author's yeah, yeah. got you know you've always got a character, and, and then you've got the opposite of character. So right. I think like the opposite of the woman on the train is probably the prostitute. Those I think those two are probably mm. you know the polar opposites there. Or they're the opposite of the nun. Yeah, or maybe a combination of them. I don't know. I think That's the nun. I think the nuns might be the con- opposite of his family because he talks about his aunt and his he grandma does. and his he mom. Does. There, and I think I think I think that they're supposed to contrast with them. Phoebe like, have an opposite. That's the thing. The kids don't. The okay. kids don't. Well, the kids the kids do, but they have an older version. So there's like uh, Allie, and then well, Phoebe. maybe it's just Phoebe and DB. Oh, Phoebe DB. Maybe I think the sounds yeah. there. I think are supposed to be the character of Phoebe gives you Allie in person, right? Because she's just like Allie, right? In his eyes, yeah. You know. He, he idolizes her, not worships, but idolizes no, her. No, it's maybe. a bit of worship. You know, it's a bit of worship. Um, She's and, a goddess she of has, light, by the way, Phoebe. Oh, that's true. So. And but she has all the attributes that Allie had: mm-hmm. smart, you know, everything else. And I think she's like ten years old. Yeah, she's ten years ten old. Ten years old. It's ten years is, old because I—that's how that, old my son is. And it was but that's how old Allie was when he died because Caulfield okay. was twelve. Okay. He was two years older than him. That actually makes sense. So Phoebe is basically a, a replacement for Allie. Okay. If you think about it. And DB is the opposite of both of them. So you're telling me on this read, fourth read, mm-hmm. years and years later, nothing surprised you. Mm-hmm. Everything was just, everything was right where you No, no, thought. actually. The, everything the, was right where you left no, it. No, no, no. The, the, whole, the whole Jane Gallagher thing with, the, with the, the stepdad and the cry. Okay. And like, okay, what, 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 where are the layers there? Okay, there you that, go. No, that, that was a surprise. Okay. And that's actually what I was okay. going to say. It's like that one scene where there's this big teardrop and it hits, hits the thing, you know, mm-hmm. and. And she just like wipes it in and you know, acts like nothing happened. But he knows something's going on. Yeah, you know, and uh, can't quite can't quite figure it out. That's a really complicated part because he's really into her. You know, he really likes her. But again, the polar opposite is uh, Sarah, whatever her name is, uh, that he takes to the ice skating and they get mad and, and right. get a fight. They have um, a really like low grade hookup kind of like hold hands or something like that. Like was, he and Jane. He and Jane. He kisses her everywhere but the lips. She won't let him kiss her on the lips, but he yeah. kissed her on the eyes, on the forehead, yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and it was like it was at that moment when it, she she was like it was after the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so so it was like I mean you know obviously broken. Yeah, but then you start thinking about that and then hooking up with his roommate and and he, we don't know he's assuming it. He's assuming it, right, yeah. but you know that people with trauma. I mean that often happens. They experience that trauma later in life, and they and they often because I don't know they lead lifestyles that invite that trauma because they're they're so traumatized by by what happened, right? Yeah, and yeah, uh, you, hear, you hear things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, a sign that we're not coming to our 
permanent conclusions on these things. There's still room to talk about it. There's still, oh, yeah. that's what I think. And this is where I'm, like I said, I'm giving myself away here. I right. think that's why I'm definitely toasting this classic. Oh, toasting. I mean, I I'm think we could talk it, about yeah. it. I think Absolutely. we could read it, read it once every five years and get more out of it. Right. That's reading it through the decades. Mm-hmm. People could still read the book. An individual reading it every once in a while over the years right. and getting more out of it. That's the definition of something that's a classic. I mean, that's, you're, it's, yeah. it's not dead letter. It's not just reading the same words over right. again. You're picking up on different things every single sure. time. I, so I'm, my glass is up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely toasting it. One thing that I want you to consider here, if you ever feel bad about, like luckily the, the five people that listen to us always give us good ratings. Thank you. Yes, please. Bob, Joe, Sue, please, Billy, please like, and, rate, and review. Yeah, and Dylan. Uh, <laughs> but if you ever feel bad about your ratings, this has a three point eight out of five on Goodreads. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, don't feel that now, bad. What about is it. that all about? Is that uh, is it failing the test of the mind? I, I don't know. Or, I, I, you know, have you ever go, read, go, go look Have you ever read people's Yelp reviews of the national parks? <laughs> right, right. The trees were cold I, yeah, and yeah, impersonal. Yeah, yeah, right. like those are those are satirical, right? But I mean, uh, or ironic. But I mean, Catcher in the Rye has a three point eight out of five, right? Yeah. Sun Also Rises by Hemingway is, is probably about the same. It might be even less. Actually, Sun Also Rises has terrible reviews, like new reviews. So here's a question. You know? Here's a question for you. And I know we're sort of starting to move towards the end here, but um, right. is this a dude's book? Are those bad reviews? Are those because wow. this is this is not a book for women? No, I don't think this is a dude's book. This is a thinker's book. Okay. You know, and I think that's what it is, is those reviews are given by idiots that that just don't they oh what is this this is stupid but also but also you the know? style of the writing right somebody who's it, not particularly well, thinking about it could think oh it's just written like a bunch of right, sloppy words right. but it, they you know? but they don't they don't have that that they can't go below the it's like the, somebody saying the, the demoiselle d'avignon is a crappy painting because you can see both sides of their face at the same time you know it's like <laughs> right right come on man like but i mean you know it's it's I think I really think that's what it is. After after looking at the ratings and then and then reading reviews mm. of it, and and it, again the same goes for Sun Also Rises. But you know this is this is stupid. I mean, this is so boring. You know, he just goes walks around New York and blah blah blah. Also, they make kids read it. People sometimes hate the books yeah. that they have to read. Yeah, so, that's that's I don't, really I don't know. true. But anyway, I'm toasting this. I'm classic. toasting it too. So All right, I'm in. Toasting I'm in. it. Cheers. Cheers. It's still a terrible. It's kind of deadened for some reason. It's kind of a muted clink. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> oh, right. I covered the inside of our glasses yeah. with velour. So it's, oh, it's, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, yeah. That was not a good idea. Shag carpet bad glasses is, is a yeah, bad idea. bad idea. Well, thank you uh, once again for yep. joining us. Thanks for joining us. And um, next time we're moving on towards a film. I can't I'm going to let the outro speak for it. I'm going to let the outro talk about okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I won't, a, I won't say anything about it. So, um, Okay. Thank you, everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next time on Toasting the Classics. Peace out. That's it for Episode 7 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some baiju, or soju if you can't get it, for next week's episode where we'll be talking about Bruce Lee's 1974 magnum opus, Enter the Dragon. If you'd like to get in touch, send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, your comments and complaints, accusations of phoniness, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at RactiveNuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics.